Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterward was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to him, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Savannah. We are, again, starting Lent here, and we really started Lent on Wednesday. And for those of you who joined us for the Ash Wednesday service, um, you know that we end that service with putting ashes on our forehead. And it really is a symbol of a reminder of our mortality. That we came from dust of the earth, Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, we come from him, and to dust we will return. And we start off Lent with a kind of a repositioning of ourselves, a realigning of ourselves, uh, of realizing once again, remembering once again that God is God, he is immortal, he is holy, and we are not. And uh, we're going to shift this week into kind of the next step of that. And if you, uh, um, at the beginning of the scripture that Savannah read, we see Jesus, it starts by saying Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And again, to put this in the context of Jesus' ministry, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was just baptized by John in the um, Jordan River. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit came down. The clouds parted. God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he had this beautiful moment. And that spirit that landed on Jesus, the first thing it did is it drove Jesus into the wilderness. It didn't suggest, it didn't say, hey, maybe you should go out there. It says it drove him. It compelled him. Out into the wilderness. Because if I were Jesus, I would not want to then go. Like if, if I just got, you know, the Holy Spirit on me, my ministry, I was baptized, my ministry is about ready to go. And I would want to go and start doing that right away. I would not want to go into the wilderness and fast for 40 days. This picture of Jesus going into the wilderness and fasting is really the picture where we get the 40 days for Lent. We're just not as good as Jesus, so we give you Sundays off. You don't have to fast during Sundays, right? But it's that picture of of us preparing ourselves, journeying with Jesus to the cross and to the tomb. And this is how Jesus prepared himself for ministry, how God prepared him for ministry. He fasted for 40 days. He lived in the cave in the mountains for 40 days, praying. 
thinking, preparing himself, letting himself, his heart and his mind be, be strengthened for the ministry ahead. And friends, I want to invite you as we begin Lent to also journey with Jesus to the cross, to use this time as a time of preparation, time of resetting ourselves and saying, all right, Jesus, I need to get back to you during these 40, 40 days. If I'm going to do the ministry that you have called me to, if Calvary, if we're going to do the ministry that Jesus has called us to in this community, we also need once again to reset, to set ourselves apart from the world, to go out into the wilderness, so to speak, for a time. And so Jesus was moved out into the wilderness. And it's interesting because this is the scripture where we find Jesus being tempted. And the temptation comes not at the beginning, but at the end of the 40 days. When Jesus was starving. Right? It's one thing to be tempted at the beginning when you are strong and everything's going well, but Jesus was weak physically. And he was hungry. And this is when Satan came to tempt him. And there's a lot in this scripture that we could look at and how the, the temptations, and we're going to get into them a little bit, how the temptations even mirror the temptations Jesus faced while he was hanging on the cross. And how these temptations prepared him specifically for the ministry that, that he was called to. But today I want to take a little bit different approach on this. I want to look at us next to Jesus. Scripture says that there is no temptation except that which is common to man. Put it a little bit plainer. We all experience the same types of temptations. No one of us has experienced a temptation that is unique solely to us. So if this is the case, if, all, if we all experience these temptations, the temptations that Jesus experienced are also ones that we experience. So let's look at temptation a little bit this morning. As we begin our 40 days, as we may be fast, isn't the nature of fast really all about kind of? Like if I fast for something, if I'm doing it right, it's something that I want, something that I desire. So it's going to be hard for me not to fast. Like I could fast from broccoli and I'd be fine, right? It's not like I get up and like, give me a, a heaping plate of steaming broccoli. And some of you are like, yeah, that sounds delicious. Not me. Like I'm, yeah, not me. But you give me a big plate of cake and ice cream and I have to work hard to resist that, right? So if I was going to give up something for Lent, I would want to give up something that I would desire, right? And that really is the nature of temptation. We are tempted by what we desire. And while our temptations might be different for each one of us, still all common. And so this is cutting out. I'm not sure what's going on. We are tempted by what we desire. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. 
Now listen to this. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We are all tempted. We are all tempted. I love the saying, I can resist, resist anything but temptation, right? The, I might not be tempted the same way you're tempted. Again, I might not want that plate of broccoli, but I want the plate of cake. And we all ha have experienced with that. This is life, human experience, that we have been tempted by things, by our desires, and we have given into those temptations, And a lot of times our temptations come in the, in the ways in which God has called us not to live. Told us not to do things. Or God has called us to go and we're tempted to not go. And then James here says that, don't, you get this, that your temptations, your desires, when it gets conceived, when you do it, leads to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, leads to death. Temptation is a real thing for all of us. Temptation comes as lies shrouded in truth. You saw that Satan, in his temptations to Jesus, he used scripture to try to get Jesus to do what he shouldn't do. He tempted Jesus with his desires, and he used partial truths to do it. And that is how the world tries to tempt us as well. I see that big plate of chocolate cake and ice cream and it says, you know, that's going to taste really good. And you know, just one piece of cake and ice cream, that's really not going to be that bad, right? That's not going to make me put on 15 pounds and, and give me health issues and whatnot. But the problem is, every time I see that piece of cake, it's that same lie that just one piece won't do, just one piece. It'll be fine, just one piece. This is just one piece. Before you know it, I've eaten a dozen pieces, Right? And whatever that is, whether that's cake or whatever that is in your life, you know how that works. We are fed lies by this world to feed our temptations, to feed our desires, to, to tempt us to cross the line when we shouldn't. And maybe that is that desire where the world says, hey, you deserve to be married and happy. You deserve to have healthy kids. You deserve that promotion. You deserve food that'll make you happy. You deserve to watch or listen to, to things, and it doesn't matter what you watch or listen to. It'll be fine. It's just one show. We hear lies that say, you know, who you are around with won't change you. What you watch, what you listen to won't affect you. And so we give in to the temptation. And we live lives not in the will of Christ. So friends, if Lent is this 40-day journey with Christ to the cross, let us start where Jesus did. Being led by the Spirit into the desert to deal with our temptation and sin. And with that right now, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would drive us. I understand that this is a dangerous prayer. That you would drive us into the wilderness alongside Jesus that we might... Look at ourselves. Have an honest look at ourselves. That we might face our temptations and face when we fall. Jesus, be with us. Walk next to us. Amen.
This Lenten series is Living Inside Out. And it's the idea of letting the Spirit of God work on us from the inside out. So on the inside, so that our lives are changed on the outside. And to do that, we need to kind of start at the beginning as we journey with Jesus. And to look at the nature of our heart and where we're at when it comes to our sin and our temptations. And where we have fallen, where we have failed. The title of this week's sermon is, If I Fall, but really it's When I Fall. Because there's not one person in here who has not fallen. There's not one person in here who has not fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. So let's walk alongside Jesus. And right now we are hungry. We are fasting for 40 days. Anything looks good at this point. Like bugs on the ground like that looks like it could be chocolate cake. Anything looks good because you are so hungry and you're so tired. And then Satan shows up, and this is what Scripture says. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Right there's the temptation. And Jesus is starving and says, If you're the Son of God, you can make these stones into bread, and you can eat, you can can be full. You can have sustenance. It's going to taste so good. You deserve bread. You're the Son of God. You deserve to have this. And then Jesus responds, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus again uses scripture to combat partial scripture. He brings full truth into partial truth. And that truth that he had after sitting in 40 days, Jesus just wasn't staring at stone for 40 days. He was reading scripture. He was praying. And in that time of preparation, as he went and he fed on the word of God for 40 days, when Satan tried to trick him in a half-truth, he's like, no, that is not the full story, Satan. Man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And one of the first lessons I can give to us this, this Lenten season is to spend time in the word and in prayer. If you have been struggling, battling temptation in your life, do what Jesus did, and that is get into Scripture. Get into Scripture. That is your first and best defense. That is the heavenly food that we have, and we'll get into that more. But as we are next to Jesus, and the tempter comes and says, turn these stones into bread, I want you to see that the temptation is not just food. But it's really a temptation of our physical needs and desires. We are humans and we have physical needs. We have desires to go along with that. We have a need for food and for water. Just to keep our body going, right? But we also have other needs. Emotional needs. Spiritual needs. Whether that's the need for acceptance and relationships. The need for purpose and meaning in our life. We even have needs of physical pleasure. And we hunger for these things, don't we? We hunger for these things. In fact, they drive most of us on a daily basis. 
You look at the world around us. You see what's on the shows and uh, in the songs and whatnot. And let's just talk about love, right? We are just ending up the love month, right? And that need that we have for, for emotional and physical connection and intimacy and acceptance, right? And how much of it our culture is so obsessed with that? We're obsessed with it because we need it. And Jesus says, there's, there's, you do need it. I created you to need it, but there's a proper way to go about it. And trust me in this proper way. Follow me in the ways that I tell you that you should go. Yet the world tempts us and says, no, you can, you can look at things. You can listen to things. You can be in wrong relationships. Not, all of that stuff, right? We are tempted. I don't know about you. I've used food as a lot as an analogy because for me, that is a temptation. I love to eat to deal with any kind of stress or just, be, I, 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 will, I don't know if any of you are like me. I'll be eating my breakfast and I'll be thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, right? I'm like, I, I, I want it to taste good. Thank you for clapping. I'm glad I'm not the only one. That I, I'm, I sit there and I'm like, man, I cannot, what, what can I have that's going to taste good, right? Some people, you know, eat to live. I live to eat, right? And so it's a, it's a temptation. I have to, to keep myself healthy. I have to fight that temptation off. That's just one of my physical desires and needs that I have that I'm fighting off. And this is what this temptation was about. How are you doing with the needs of the flesh? With the desires of the flesh? How are you doing? Where is Satan in the world tempting you? See, if I was next to Jesus and Satan says, turn these stones into bread, I wouldn't even wait that long. I'm like, is that, du that dust looks good after 40 days. Give me the dust. Give me the rocks. Give me the stones. And when, when we feast on what the world offers, that's really what we're eating. We're eating the dust and the rocks of the world, and it does not go down well. But we can be so desperate that that's what we turn to. And we're missing out on bread. Real bread. I will sustain. Let's move on to the second temptation. So then devil, the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city, this Jerusalem, and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Satan comes with partial half-truths with scripture, distorting scripture, distorting truth to get um, Jesus to be tempted. And Jesus responds with scripture. Again, get into your Bibles. But this is a, an interesting temptation and one that at first we're like, can I really relate to this? Right? I don't, last time I haven't, I haven't been to Jerusalem up on the temple. The temple's not even there. How do I get up there and throw myself down? It's just kind of a, a weird temptation. But let me put it this way so that you might better understand it. It is a temptation of testing God. A temptation of testing God. And for those of you who have children, you might get this temptation. If any of you had children, you know that at 
at times in their lives, as you are raising them, they will test you, won't they? They will test you. And that testing comes in, in different stages and different levels. I've got, you know, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and a six-month, luckily the six-month-old is just testing my patience with, you know, sleep and everything. But my other daughters, I don't know how many times they have tested me to see when I say, hey, don't do that, and they still do it, right? They say, all right, God, Dad, I'm going to still do this. Are you really going to punish me? Am I really going to get in trouble with this? Or are you just saying don't do it and I can just go and do it? That is part of human nature to test the authority around us, over us. And here's the thing. We test God all the time. Or let me just say, I test God all the time. I test him in how much grace he has for me. So you know what? I know I shouldn't sin. I know I shouldn't do this thing, but I'm going to do it because it's just one time. And God's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's going to forgive me. God's really not going to let anything really bad happen. Maybe just a little bad, but nothing really bad, right? So I can go and cross the line over here. I can push the envelope. When he says, don't touch that button, I'm going to touch that button because I don't think he's, he's a good God. I don't think he's really going to get that mad at me, right? If anyone doesn't have the book, don't touch that button, great book. Right? We test God all the time and how we look to push the limits. How we, If you're like me, when the sin is a line drawn there and I want to see how close I can get to that line and even start to step over, Right? Because I'm going to say, God, if I, if I step over, if I mess up, God's going to be there to catch me. And wasn't that the temptation? Jesus, just step over that line. Don't worry, the angels, God's going to catch you with his angels. God's going to catch you. His grace will be sufficient. You're not going to hurt that bad. So it's okay to keep on sinning. It's okay to keep on rebelling. It's okay to keep on living your way instead of God's way. Because God's going to catch you. We test God in this so often. And if I was up there by Jesus and Satan offered me this temptation, if I was honest, I would say, yep, I jump right off. Jump right off. The third temptation Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor and said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus' answer, his response back to the temptation came out of scripture. There's a pattern there. <clears throat> But this temptation is a temptation of worship. And worship is very important to God. In fact, the first two commandments have to deal with worship. That's where he starts. And before you say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not worshiping any, uh, like I'm not worshiping Satan. I haven't bowed down to him. I'm not worshiping anything like that. I'm doing all right. I, I'm here at church worshiping, right? So I must be doing good on this one. But remember that worship is what we give value to. Worship is what we give value to. And I want you to understand this. You and I 
were created to worship God. We were beings created to worship and specifically designed to worship God. And when we worship other things, it doesn't work out well. Because we weren't created to worship other things, but God gave us the choice to worship other things if we wanted to. And we worship what we give value to. So in other words, what we give our time to. What we give our money and resources to. We worship what we think about. How many hours do you spend at church? And how many hours, or let me just say in church or in prayer or in scripture, and how many hours do you spend watching things on TV? Right there alone is convicting for me. I don't know about you guys. What about sports? What about career? What about hobbies? I will tell you, it, it can be a real struggle for me come football time to not put the Chicago Bears above my worship to God because of how much time I can spend investing in following a team that never wins. Right? When I have a God who's won the ultimate victory, why shouldn't I be like, you know, putting, a, I need a God jersey, like a Chicago Bears jersey, right? That can be a silly example, but it can be a real example. I have seen youth put sports or academics or drama or work ahead of God and what they worship. I have seen people put relationships, a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, ahead of God in worship. I have seen people put their kids ahead of God in worship. And the lie is, you worship other things, you'll get all this stuff. But, the, but when we worship other things, I want you to know what that does. It, all it does is it makes us thirsty. It's like trying to drink something to quench your thirst and all it does in reality, it might feel good going down, but it just makes us thirstier. Is that a word? More thirsty? Whichever that is. Right? You guys have, have had that experience where you've, you're thirsty and you drank something and you realize, you know what, I'm actually more thirsty afterwards. I mean, soda's a, a great example of that, right? When we bow down to the things of this world, when we drink of the waters of this world, thinking that it will quench our thirsts, all it does is make us parched. Makes us parched. So what we do, we go back for more and more and more. And before we realize it, we're giving this much worth to God in worship and this much to the world. Wondering how we got there. Friends, we've all walked beside Jesus. We've all faced the same temptations and friends, we've all failed. We've all failed. 
We've eaten stones and dust. We've thrown ourselves down with nobody to catch us as we land on the ground broken. We have drunk the waters of this world and we are parched. In Psalm 32, it says this. It says, happy are those whose transgressions is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And listen to these words. While I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sins, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Friends, today I want to talk to you about confession. All of this to lead us to this point of confession that when we have sinned, we've all sinned. And when we do not confess that sin to God, when we let that sin live in us, our bodies are wasted away. We continue to hunger and thirst for more. Our bodies ache and groan. In fact, there are studies that, that literally show our bodies physically take a toll when we live with sin in us and we do not confess it. Physically, it affects us. Emotionally, it affects us. Spiritually, it affects us. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34, he says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who, li- who sins, everyone who sins, that's you and I, right? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And Paul tells us in Romans 6, wages of sin is death. My friends, sin is no laughing matter. It's deadly. And most of us have times in our lives, whether it's now or before, where we've walked around with a weight of sin. Sin is like a, back loaded, a backpack loaded full of rocks that's weighing us down to the point where we can't seem to move any farther. Sin is chains that are locking us in place where we see no way out, no hope for the future. Sin is like a sickness, a disease that debilitates the body. It weakens us. And we are just there hungering and thirsting for something that will satisfy us, that will fulfill us, that will make us healthy and whole. And one of the main problems is that we are living with sin, letting it reside inside of us instead of confessing it. In the prodigal son parable, we see the the younger son that runs out and goes to live how he wants to live, right? The desires of the flesh, he, he falls to that temptation, he goes out and he lives, and he gets to the point where he is starving, physically starving, wanting to eat pig food, and he can't even get that. And then the scripture says, but he came to himself. He came to himself. He was honest with himself. Finally, he was honest with himself and with the sin in his life. And he realized something had to change. Something had to give. He was going to die if he kept on this path. 
And so what does he do? He decides to return to the Father and confess. Return to the Father and confess. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning as we begin Lent, as we let God work from the inside out to confess our sins. To confess our sins. We need to have the moment where we come to ourselves. And I want you to know this. Because confession is a very powerful thing. One, confession leads us to repentance, which leads us to salvation. Repentance is physically turning around. Confession is, is a sorrow, a grief, saying, I'm sorry that I did this. And it leads us to repentance where we turn back to God like the younger son did in, in the parable, where he was sorrowful and grieved and he turned back to the Father. But when we confess, I want you to hear this, confession is where we get, where healing comes. Confession is where there is Freedom. There is movement as the weight has been removed and lifted, as the chains have been broken, and healing comes through confession. It is a powerful thing, and for some of us, we've lost this in our Christian life, and, and somehow we got trapped by the temptations of this world, and we've gone down the road, and, and we're wondering why we're so hungry and thirsty, why we've lost our joy and our hope. It's because we've been letting sin live when we really need to confess. Friends, have you, are you just weighed down by your sin? Do you feel trapped? Locked up? Broken? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost any hope for the future? Are you like the psalmist that says, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long? Are you slowly wasting away? The psalmist goes on to say, but then I went and I confessed. In the beginning, you see the words, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven. That there's this happiness that comes from our confession and our repentance. So what do you need to confess today? If you have your lace, go ahead and take it out. And if you need a lace, raise your hand and we can get it for you. And this is beautiful lace. In fact, uh, I, my wife is pretty confident that this is the lace we used in some of our wedding decorations a while ago. It is beautiful and um, I went to Hobby Lobby and I was getting this lace and the lovely lady who was helping me with it, unrolling it and commenting how beautiful this was and then she asked me the question, um, what are you going to make with this? And I confess I did not have the heart to tell her what I was really going to do with this. And so I said, oh, I'm going to use it in a sermon as an analogy. But it was commonplace in Jesus' time and in the Old Testament when you would grieve, when you would mourn, when you would be um, confessing your sins to tear clothing, to tear fabric as a sign of your grief. And so you have this beautiful fabric in your hands. And it's beautiful. 
And we're going to have a time of confession now, and I invite Stacy to come forward. And she is going to play just music underneath, and you might recognize it. You can, if you want to sing, you can, but we're not going to put the words up. This is a time of prayer, a call to confession for us as a church to come and confess both corporately but also individually. And I know that there are some of you out there that have been burned down by your sin, and you need to to finally stop and come to yourself and say, you know what, I need to confess this sin. I need to not go this way anymore. I need to come back to God. So this is what I want you to invite you to do. As the music plays, I'm going to do some praying underneath, but as you sit and as the Spirit leads you, as it might drive you out into the desert, I want you to confess your sins. And as you confess your sins, tear apart the fabric. And if you're wondering why your piece of fabric might be bigger than the person next to you, well, some people have more sin than others, right? (laughs) Just kidding. But as a sign of you breaking yourself before God, because I want you to hear this, that while we are eating stones, Jesus looked at us and said, here, break my body instead. Have the bread of life. And while we throw ourselves down to test God, Jesus sees that and he tosses himself over and he commands his angels to stop us, to save us while his body dies on the ground. And while we worship the things of this world, while we drink in the waters of this world, Jesus sheds his blood for you and for I. It says, drink the living water. And if you drink this, you'll never go thirsty again. Jesus beat all those temptations, but he suffered the fate of all of them so that you and I can live. We are not meant to be weighed down by our sin. So friends, let us come in this time to confession. And if you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you need to come forward, the altar is open. There are kneelers up here. This time is yours. Let us confess together as a church. Amen. Lord, I confess for Calvary as a whole in our pride in our selfishness Lord we are sorry please forgive us